Yo MTG Taps is sponsored by LegitMTG.com. Strategy, streams, and singles, LegitMTG has it all. Oh yeah, and now us. So check us out every Friday on LegitMTG.com and stop back every weekday for more great Magic the Gathering content and product. Welcome back to Yo MTG Taps. I'm Big Head Joe. Stephen Marshall is currently in my closet, uh, bound and gagged, and um, I'm not letting him out. I mean, I don't even know why, honestly. It's really weird. Uh, I just had this weird urge, and now he's locked away. Uh, so it's just me. Actually, he hit a company dinner. So um, anyway, uh, I am joined tonight by the man who wears more hats than Rock Hydra, Adam Staborski. How's it going, man? It's going pretty good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. We haven't spoken uh, in a couple years, uh, so it's really great to get you back on the show. Uh, we are continuing the trend, as I told him before we started the episode, continuing the trend of my co-hosts hating him. Uh, because it seems like every time uh, I record with Adam, like it's either at the pre-release, like when we were doing the pre-releases and he was gunslinging at um, Amazing Spiral, uh, it was just me and him there, and it was usually recording like after everything had let out. Um, you know, tonight, uh, Steven's got his thing. Um, and, uh, you know, I just want to get this in the can and, um, but not on the can. That'd be a little awkward. Uh, but I guess technology being what it is, it would actually be possible. No, let's not get into that. Uh, uh, last week, uh, we were talking on the show about a cube, and um, I purchased one of my friend's collections, uh, came across all kinds of sweet commons and uncommons that like I lost when I sold my collection off, and i just been looking at this stuff going, what do I do with all this stuff, you know? But then I was just like, man, all these cards, I was just getting this total nostalgia trip going through this box, and it was like four of everything from Shadowmoor, Eventide, just all this awesome stuff. And I was just like, what am I going to do? And I was like, man, I want to build a cube. It's just like, and Steven's been talking about cube a lot lately. That's all he's been playing on Moto is just a legacy cube nonstop. So, you know, it just been kicking around in my head and I've been wanting to build one. So, uh, I'm starting the process. Um, so I figure I bring a cube expert on, uh, like Adam Staborski, uh, to, uh, talk to me about cube and to kind of, uh, you know, uh, just pick your brain tonight, man. Just about uh about building a cube and uh and you know how the process and and playing a cube. I don't actually play much cube, which is the weirdest thing about me wanting to build one is that I haven't really played much cube. But I'm like, it would just be a really great thing to have at my disposal to like you know get some fun games in and you know and it is testing you know limited in a way uh i think that's a really fun thing to do i love playing limited in general so creating a limited format seems like uh the next logical step after if you love a you know a form of magic so much um so uh you are known for your pauper cube right that's right yeah man uh, i know you've had that thing together for a while and you've had the uh 
the blog, which you haven't updated, I think, in a little while. Is that correct? Yeah, I um, you know, before before I kind of uh, took over running Gathering Magic three years ago, I um, I had like a just a WordPress blog just to kind of organize where all the updates were. Um, right. So the updates are are going up on Gathering Magic. They're still there. I just um, I, I forget to cross post and go. All my posts, like for the past couple of years, have been. Oh, by the way, the the, the next update's here, and it's it's still there. So I saw. If you go that. to Gathering Magic and search Popper Cube. It'll sweet. It'll come up. Awesome. Yeah, because I saw that. Uh, like, I was like, I was like, what's up with his blog? Oh, apparently not too much. I know you've got uh, a lot going on right now, which is just so awesome. It's just great to see you uh, having so much success. Uh, you're doing pro tour coverage and stuff, right? Yeah. Um, God, it's awesome. I just got back from uh, from from Worlds Week in Nice, so I did the uh, the the World Championship, the uh, the twenty four player tournament, um, as well as uh, the World Magic Cup, which is um really great. It's um y- you want to talk about um just briefly to kind of point out how how diametrically different those two events are. So the World Championship is obviously the the best of the best um, from the past year of Magic Pro Tour winners. Um, at pro, you know, top pros by region, top pros at large, just everybody who's anybody um, playing magic within their geographies. Um, basically, the the top of those people, not even all of the anybody of anybody's. It's just the best of those um, by performance uh, get to the invite. So, so it's a very quiet, um, it's a very relaxed tournament of all things. Uh, you you would think it'd be really intense, but it's like they just lighten up and it's loose because everybody's making money just by showing up. Yeah, you know, <laughs> super, super super cool. Um, the World Magic Cup is totally different. So for you know, uh, you look at like Owen Turtenwald, uh, Neil Oliver, um, and the two others that make up the U.S. team. You know, and 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 they won. You know, they they won three fair. You know, three of the three of the players won fairly large tournaments. Um, but not even certainly the biggest tournaments in the United States and certainly not tournaments that are considered high profile or prestigious. Mm-hmm. That's not the case for like, you know, 68 of the countries, you know, there's like 72 that competed for most of the countries. The world magic cup, like is their tournament, right? Like, right. That is their thing. And it, so for like per, for Peru, um, not Peru, um, like Uruguay and um, Paraguay and, and these countries that um, like Greece, you know, they haven't had a grand prix or a pro tour in Greece in years. And it's like, you know, they barely, you know, it's like nobody, you know, the the prediction is like, oh, they're not going to make day two. They barely make day two, like edge out like Japan and um, another, another, you know, typically great magic country. And they run all the way to the finals. And it's wow. like, it's only at a tournament like that where just basically three guys that, you know, that have, um, you know, that just came together and just are playing really good magic and working as a team. You know, it's like the excitement and, and, and it's a, it's a different type of intensity. It's not like a competitive intensity it's just like an excitement uh and right and i think the the photos help show that so anyway i just wanted to give a shout out to just how awesome that that the world magic cup is like i wasn't a big wasn't a big believer especially if you look at coverage and you're like oh i don't know any of these people it's just it means the world to them and it's really a that it really captures kind of how global magic is so. right it's like it's like you know, i'm a big uh, soccer nerd at this point um so it's like watching the euro cup qualifiers you see a team like gibraltar and you're like well gibraltar's probably not going to qualify for the euro cup but like uh you know they 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 show up and they compete and, you know, you've got to always be on your toes against anyone. I mean, you know, I'm sure half the people that Greece beat probably weren't, you know, probably kind of laxed up a little bit and didn't take them so seriously. And they, you know, they showed them, uh, you know, that they were a force to be reckoned with. So, um, but, oh, you know, and speaking of the world, 
the World Championships. Last week, we talked about the World Championships, and we never actually mentioned Shahar Shenhar by name, so congratulations on your win. <laughs> I was like, oh, it sucks that Patrick Chapin lost, and I didn't mention the fact of who won, so... Um, kind of stupid but anyway uh but that's really cool man i'm i'm really happy for you you know congratulations on all your success um with everything um and apparently uh you you have uh some little staborskis running around now yeah uh allegedly um my wife gets cross-eyed every time i i bring up the idea of a genetic test but the fact that they both <laughs> uh my daughter loves scrapple and the second one looks like my clone. I kind of have a very poor argument. Um, so yeah, they're they're great. Um, oh man, when they're when they're um, you know compliant and obedient, and or at least just going to sleep, uh, you know. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's been it's been great. Um, awesome. Man. You know, Kate's finally uh, my daughter. Kate's finally um, kind of cognizant of <clears throat> the world around her in kind of interesting ways. As kind of this emerging intelligence um, and. Uh, Super polite, you know, generally nice, um, very excited about stuff. Uh, so just kind of interesting, like amalgam of personality traits from Dinah and I. And uh, the verdict's still out on on my infant son, Alec. He's six months old and has teeth already, and he's eating. So seems pretty seems pretty aggressive on the food front. So <laughs> I can appreciate that. He's he's ambitious. I nice. like it. Nice. Well, you know, <laughs> congratulations on everything, man. It couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Uh, really excited to have you on the show. And um, let's get into some cube talk. Let's do it. Awesome. So, um, first of all, just in general about playing cube, um, what's your favorite archetype to draft? Or do you even have one? I do. Um, I generally love aggressive archetypes. So okay. um, the type of cube can vary dramatically. Um, just to kind of give like a brief like a brief hierarchy overview of cubes. So there's traditional cube, which is kind of like your legacy cube or your holiday cube on Magic Online. Um, those are kind of your premier, very powerful cards. Archetypes are baked in. Um, every pick is is designed to be both useful in particular decks while also um, exciting and kind of like a cool card that you want to play by itself. Right. Um, then there's um, <clears throat> kind of derivative cubes um, uh, of different sorts. So there's limited, limited, rare, uh, limited restricted cubes, which are my favorite. So um, there's common on common cube there. Klug uh, maintains, and he does a fantastic job with it. Um, and it was his cube that really inspired me to build my popper cube, um, which is, um, and I'm one of several that maintain a popper cube, but um, mine's kind of, um, kind of the most renowned. Um, a lot of people build start building their popper cube for mine and kind of deviate based on on kind of what they do. Um, and I can talk a little bit about building later. Yeah. Um, and then there's um, kind of thematic cubes, which are, uh, like I know a guy who built a, basically, a, it's a mono green cube. It kind of started that way and it kind of splashed a little bit of colors, but every card is either colorless or has green in it. Oh, wow. So it's just very, very, um, you know, it, it changes, of course, how the games play out and like what's good and bad because the relative value changes given the, uh, the availability effects and colors that involve green and colorless. Yeah, that's um, awesome. or uh, tribal cubes where like everything has to be like fit into like a creature, you know, it's like really creature heavy and everything's like a goblin or a warrior or, you know, things like that. Um, but but generally, I love aggressive decks. I, I like red decks. I like black, white decks, um, decks that that are really good at putting a lot of pressure on opponents. Like I want efficient creatures that attack you. Um, I want efficient creatures that disrupt your your hand or um, destroy your creatures that you're trying to play and block with, um, and and to have things like uh, like burn, like things like pestilence or lightning bolts, things that can just go right over your right over the dome. So I don't. Um, it's kind of like the um, uh, it's it's closest to kind of like a combo. 
type decks where um you know my my goal is to make whatever you're doing as irrelevant as possible because you're you're playing against my my plan which is i'm just killing you you're counting to 20 right yeah like like did you gain eight life you're probably winning <laughs> like those are the decks i kind of build <clears throat> so like i think like you know like uh my nemesis in uh in, in like uh eric's um common on common cube is um kiss of amisha it's like oh draw two cards and gain six life well i just lost like yeah. <laughs> it's very very difficult for for my decks to beat that card um but i like it um you know things like black white have like mother of runes and good removal so you can kind of punch through damage like that shadow is a pretty pretty common theme in those colors um you you can see that um i think in the uh some earlier iterations of the holiday cube and magic online uh, mono red is all is is often the fun police you know it's like you know i've got 28 I've got 28 uh, burn damage in my deck, uh, plus a little bit of card draw and some creatures. Like, can you beat that? Um, you know, it's it, those are the archetypes I like to play, um, and it's just my personal preference. Like, I like I like casting creatures and burn spells and beating down and attacking. Um, so I just draft that. Absolutely, and uh, that's Steven's uh, thing too. Uh, and Steven seems to uh, to almost feel like it's a fault of his that he just can't draft anything but aggro decks. <laughs> He's just trying to figure out how to even draft anything else. Um, do you have any like advice for drafting control? Like, do you I mean do you even care? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean at a. <clears throat> I mean, there's there's kind of like a broad answer. So yeah. one of the things that that um, you know that, that I've learned from from doing a lot more drafting in, in the past um, two years, um, you know, since since I started ramping up coverage, like it's 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 important to kind of understand a little bit more about um, the formats that I'm covering and right. uh, why the players are doing things they're doing. And of course, by interviewing and talking with them, like you just get a lot of firsthand information about how they're evaluating things and why they are that way. So uh, my limited game has stepped up um, a little bit. And um, I, I found that that the the breadth of decks that I can draft has expanded, um, and a lot of that just comes from familiarity. So, mm -hmm. if you first start playing with a cube, like you know, it's really hard to to not have the the sense of like, let me draft what's familiar, what I know what I'm doing with. Like, you know, you see a card like let's say, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a really good example, um, the uh, Thopter Foundry. Yeah. So like that card could be in a cube, and you're like, okay, cool. There's something, some deck wants to use this card. There's some sequence of things that, you know, there's probably Sword of the Meek or some other really cheap equipment, um, you know, an artifact-based deck. It's it's Esper-colored. Great. I don't know how that deck looks. I don't know what the cards are. I don't know what I'm going to be building. But there's this terror next to it. I know what that does, and I know what I'm going to do with that. So I'm going to take the terror instead. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't think that's necessarily wrong because you don't get like these, you, know, you walk up to somebody's cube, you don't have like a primer and, a, and three weeks of previews on daily MTG to, to get caught up on what, what's going on with this cube. It's like, right. Exactly. You're, you're, like you get like maybe like a, like a, like a two minute primer from the, from the, the cube owner. It's like, oh yeah, these are the archetypes and it's, you know, color X, color Y aggro. And like, you get no description of the cards, no insight, um, you know, so once you once you start drafting a cube multiple times, you'll find that you just naturally begin to see the connections and how the things are come together. And especially if it's like your buddy and like you hang out and like start to see like, can I see the cube list or like, oh, what what's this card for? Like you start asking questions. Just building a familiarity lets you draft um, more archetypes. So it's it's not it's not that it's wrong to kind of draft what you're comfortable with. Um, I, I think if you if you're not looking to understand the cube you're drafting to to be able to grow over time i think maybe that's kind of 
wrong, you know, throwing the blinders on and just not caring. Right. Uh, but right. just draft, just draft more. The more you draft, the more you'll you'll get the hang of the other archetypes. Right on. Now, is that something you do? And it's not on the list of questions that I had, but like, like if some, like, say you sit down with like one of your buddies and then like six people who have never drafted your cube before, uh, do you actually tell them like, okay, here are the archetypes that are in the cube? Like, I'm just curious as a as a potential cube owner. You know what I mean? Like, or is it something do, that you I, let I people? Do, yeah. Yeah, I, I totally tell people uh, kind of what's up with my cube. Um, one of the nice things about my cube is because it's um, popper commons only, mm -hmm. um, the the fact that m the more modern sets have kind of like a flatter power level across the board uh, means more and more of the cards have come from more modern magic sets. Hmm. Um, you know, things like things like Brainstorm uh, that you would typically think are like, oh, that's, that sounds like a great card. It's not very good where there aren't a bunch of shuffle effects, but something like um, preordain is actually just like the nutter butters, like getting yeah. to getting to to dig potentially, you know, three cards deep if you need it, um, and and scrying first is just really good. You know, yeah, there's a reason it's banned in modern. So that kind of thing is at play. Um, so a lot of people recognize the cards if they've been playing, you know, for the past couple of years. Right. Um, but I generally give a very high level overview of like what the archetypes are and kind of the key types of cards. Mm -hmm. um, I've designed my cube with kind of redundancy in mind where I'm okay with having cards that are very similar to each other in the cube. Some play, some people don't like to do that where like every card has to be like, as unique as possible. Mm -hmm. So like they'll only have like, well, lightning bolts, the best bolt. So I don't want to have another lightning bolt unless it kind of does like something else. Right. Um, I have like every every two mana spell that deals three damage at instant speed. Like, <laughs> right, just, right, right. That that's how my cube works. So like you can count on like, okay, I've got a choice between this great creature that I need for my deck and a burn spell. The odds are the odds are fair to good that if you, that if you look for a burn spell, you'll find one mm -hmm. if you need it, or a ramp spell, you'll find it if you're looking for it. Right. Um. And same way with uh, like the effects, like red white tokens is kind of an archetype that I that I've built up over the past couple um iterations and so there's like um there's white versions and and red versions of basically trumpet blast there's like six total effects <laughs> so the odds are the odds are pretty good in, in in a draft you'll see you'll see two or three um go around and if you pick them up and you're in that archetype you're going to find those cards that are, are there for you even if you happen to miss like one the first time around right and so is uh Typically, are 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 cubes mostly singleton? Because that's the fully intended and do intend for mine to be singleton. Is that the way it usually goes? Yeah, that's that's historically how um, how cubes are built. You know, it's right. a singleton of cards. You know, if it's printed in Magic, you know, one copy of that card is what's allowed. Right. Um, you know, some some cubes like look at building um, packs based on rarity. So like they might have you know three copies of, of commons, two copies of uncommons and one copy of rares. Mm -hmm. And they'll build packs like based on rarity. And that kind of mimics a little bit closer to like, if they're trying to mimic, like uh like if you have like a Ravnica block cube, for example, like, Oh, I really okay, love yeah. the new Ravnica block. Well, building it out. So it feels more like a, like you're drafting those sets over and over. Um, you know, it, ultimately like the design of the cube should speak to the um the experience that you want to you want to create for the players and right. sometimes you know you, you'll break you'll break rules because it makes sense for what you're doing right on cool what are the minimum maximum number of players um like that you can get your that, that you can draft your cube and like it be like an enjoyable experience um, I'm a fan of tight cubes. Like I like having really, I like punishing myself. I like having really hard decisions when I go to update my cube. Mm -hmm. Um, so basically I have like 20 to 25 cards more than I need for an eight player draft. Okay. Um, so pretty much you can guarantee that, that almost every card will be seen, but there's always like that small percent chance that 
it's not in the draft. So it's like you think, okay, well, Fireball is probably in one of these decks, but I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure. <laughs> right. um, I'm just really sure. So, um, it, you know, it's 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 a little bit dramatic. I, I've seen cubes that are like 540 cards, 680 cards, you know, where people are like, I can hold two 10 man drafts at the same time, <laughs> um, you know, and, and that's fine, too. You know, really, right. ultimately, it's um, it's all about creating that player experience for me. I want to have the most powerful feeling decks mm-hmm. possible using commons. Um, so I focused on making sure archetypes are really strong and clear and good and distinct, mm-hmm. um, as well as including powerful cards that are at common. So like things like, um, you know, like Pestilence is just mm-hmm. backbreaking in black. It's a really, really good card. Yeah. So is um, Grey Merchant of Asphodel. You know, yes. They happen to work well together, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, they Surprise. do. No doubt. Um, <laughs> you know, like the burn decks can, you can, be, like I've drafted the mono red deck. And what you think is like, oh, that deck must be really good. Um, and I get like run over by like the green ramp decks because it turns out Imperiosaur is just not burnable. Like you just can't, like you just can't kill it with a burn spell. You need like two or three. <laughs> right. And they're going to have other big baddies too. And it's just, they, they actually outrace you with creatures that are too big for you to deal with so there's that little bit of like rock paper scissors kind of built into it um so that's why i like a really tight cube i like i like every card to be like optimally exciting or like if it's in here and it's like what is this card like that's one thing i'll ask the players to do is like like if you see a card and you're like what it you know you think like your first thought is why is this in here like what what the hell's going on that you know that's something i want to know because if it's not immediately obvious what that card's for um, you know, either it's the player's first time with the cube and maybe they, they haven't seen enough cards to go, oh, okay, I get it. Fits into, you know, blue-white tempo. Great. Mm. Um, but if it just if, if it's just doesn't make sense with any of the players at all, that just kind of rises at the top of my cut list. And it's like, I want every card to feel like, okay, cool, I know what this card can do and what it's for and why I would want it or uh, what, what I'm going to pass it into and I better better watch out for it later. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. Um, so you really try to big... stick with eight? Yeah, yeah, I, I like that number. Um I think my cube used to be slightly larger and um, it kind of started to feel a little watery for me. Um, Yeah. So that's not what I like, but some players like the super randomness where it's like, okay, well, cool. You've got like everything from like Jace, the mind sculptor to like, you know, uh, Keterick Leviathan, like, (laughs) you know, who knows which blue rare you're going to get this draft, you know, good luck. Right. Um, You know, that the, the, there are enough kind of, functionally similar cards in magic that you can kind of expand out to a really big draft and have like enough representation of the cards you need. Like when you start getting into like three mana, three mana um, burn spells or like, you know, three mana ramp spells, like those things, like they, they're not as exciting, um, but they still work for what, for what they want to do. So the big cubes just, um, just have more of those types of cards and you kind of build decks that, that do the same thing, but they're using different cards every time. Uh, It's just a lot more variety. Cool. Awesome. Do you have so you only have the pauper cube then? You don't you don't have uh, any other cubes or have you even have you attempted to build any other cubes other than pauper or has it been pauper from day 1? Uh, it's been pauper from day 1. I haven't yeah. built um any other cubes. I've just really um you know, I have really focused and wanted to make sure that I that I gave my full attention to um the cube that I really liked and enjoyed and and uh you know, I really take care of it um you know, it's it's in its own box and double sleeved and all that jazz. But I also really work to find like the like the the coolest version of a card possible. Um, right. So like Eric Klug has painted some altars for me. Um, I keep a, a you know I have a lot of like DCI and and old FNM uh, promos things like that. Um, that that's kind of like it's it's like a treasure to that's me. Awesome. It's like I you know I do that. Um, other people will have like five different cubes and it's like 
whatever version they can find, or it's just, uh, you know, like kind of like the, the scrap version, like, oh, okay, cool. I've got all this stuff. I'm going to put it together. And um, it's kind of comparable to like a commander deck. Like if you have the time to build a cube and get it together and kind of mess with it a little bit and massage it into kind of a cohesive thing, like it's really great to have variety. Um, I just find that I just don't have time to, to keep up. Sure. Multiple cubes. Um, so I think we've answered some of these questions here just in talking. Um, so obvious. So pauper cubes, probably the one you prefer playing over any other, or you'd probably own the one you prefer playing, right? I mean, I really like it. I actually, I actually prefer playing um, Eric Klug's Common Uncommon Cube the most. Yeah, um, it it has a lot of surprising depth. Um, the power level overall is just higher because individual cards can do more because you you know they're uncommon, mm-hmm. and um, the uh, the effect of things like um, you know I don't think Eric uses Vintage Masters and like Magic Online exclusive sets mm-hmm. um, that may maybe adjust rarity. Right. For for card eligibility, I I do um, just because I like to get whatever power I can into the cube. Right, right, right. But 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 the some of the cards that have been like pushed down to, to uncommon and like modern masters um, made their way in, and some of the new uncommons can be really really good cards. Um, and so his cube has really um, kind of exploded in the same way mine has, and just has a has a very different identity. And it's more of like the he he invests in his cube really highly too, and it looks really awesome, and it's kept really well. So for me, it's always like a really good, it's a really good experience, um, really cool cards. And they're not cards that I've, that I've necessarily looked at over and over and over. So for me, it's just a little more exciting. That's cool. That's awesome. Um, so, and then is he where he's, so that's where you got the idea to build a cube in the first place, right? Yeah. Uh, I started going to my local um, card store uh, like six years ago, mm-hmm. uh, or seven years ago when I moved, um, moved to, to where I live now and outside Washington, D.C. And um, I met Eric Klug and, and he had his own cube and kind of like, told me about it. He learned about cube from Tom Lapilli, um, mm-hmm. you know, like the godfather of, of cube creation um, right. or one of the godfathers. You know, I know Tom learned it from, from some of his friends um, as well. So kind of got passed down. Like that's the lineages, you know, um, right. The, uh, the, 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 uh, the central Ohio Midwest uh, kind of cube, cube incubator. Um, my, he had a common uncommon cube. My, my other buddy had like a, like a rare, like just a traditional cube with rares. So I wanted to make sure if I was building a cube, I wanted it to be sufficiently different. You know, there's right. no sense for me to like make like a different version of a rare cube when theoretically there's just gonna be so much overlap that it's just going to be those philosophical differences that kind of pop up. So I just went all in on, on commons. Cool. Um, did, uh, so like, what was the basis for starting the cube like like was there a particular was there a particular card or particular set of cards that you like like what were basically like the first like five cards that you went well, i know i'm putting these in the the first five cards um i don't remember the first five cards exactly but i'm pretty sure it started with shards of alara okay and the five panoramas um, because originally i wanted to do a popper cube focused on multicolor um which mm-hmm. were two things that i really enjoyed like i liked commons um i always have like i really like uh kind of those those simple effects and how subtle and powerful they can be um especially after you start playing with them a while but i also really like multicolor cards and it's like a lot of the multicolor commons um just you know they you know they 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 kind of get set aside or, or they were they were looked down on um you know, like, uh, especially in limited formats, like they're a little more difficult to cast and they're usually not quite as exciting, even though they're powerful. So I wanted to create a cube that could, that could, you know, um, power out multicolored stuff and have this really unique experience. And it turns out that even after, uh, <laughs> even with, um, the, the all gold set, um, Alara reborn and that whole block, there just wasn't enough multicolor commons that, that 
could make a sensible cube. Mm. Um, it just wasn't, just wasn't balanced. It didn't feel right. Um, you know, uh, and I think now like with, um, you know, with the second second Ravnica block, and now with Constantar here, you know, with the 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 enemy wedge morphs, like, and tons and tons of good, um, you know, mana, common mana to use, like, it might be a little more viable today. Um, but um, I, I really found that that once uh, I sat down with Eric and and he looked over the cube with me and we shifted away and said, let's make this, let's tune this up, let's streamline it, let's make it feel like, um, feel like a good environment to draft, and and that that first big shift was what um, was what really pushed my cube away from the multicolor into kind of what it is today, which is, um, you know, makes mainly monocolor driven. Um, and then over time, it just kind of started to, I started to realize how important archetypes were like individually powerful cards are cool. Um, synergistically powerful cards are better to play with. Um, and so while I lose out on things like a foil brainstorm that, you know, makes people go, Ooh, you know, or things like sinkhole where it's like, wow, beta sinkhole. But now it's like, you know, like, uh, you, you know, you, you get stuff like, uh, Liliana specter, um, into, uh, a pestilence, um, you know, into great merchant of Asphodel and like you drain them for six life. You've got a, you've got a, a two, four to sit on the ground and you can just kind of wrath away. Yeah. It pretty much survives pestilence. Yeah. Um, so like that, that chain of that chain of plays like involves a, a cool spicy card pestilence, but these it's these nuts and bolt pieces around it that really make that deck shine. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what I've, that's what I've really driven home recently. Now, just, now just for the record, YoMTG taps does not use the word spicy. We prefer to use that. It rates highly on the Scoville scale. Did you look to any other cubes um, for templating, or do you, or, or, or did you have a template that you followed? Like, that's the part that I'm having a lot of trouble with. So, uh, well, first of all, I'm terrible with lists. I'm terrible with, like, pulling up a list on the computer and, like, looking at things. I'm going to tell you what I've been doing. I got this collection. I've been going through it card by card and putting cards in a pile. And then another pile. And then another pile. And I'm creating this huge pile. I have a holiday box, like the Theros holiday gift box. And then another fat fat pack box full of cards I'm considering for the cube. And then I'm going to whittle them down um, piece by piece. Which I don't recommend. Look at lists. Go on Gatherer for crying out loud. Don't don't do what I'm doing. Don't torture yourself. But... um, so, like, I mean, do you have a temp? I mean, I know, I know, I've seen your your spreadsheet. You know what I mean? But I, did you have always have a spreadsheet? Did you always have a template? Uh, what do you try to keep in mind when you're coming up with that sort of thing? Um, I mean, when I when I first built my cube, I literally did exactly what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through my commons and I just pulled out these are commons that I would want to play. Yeah. Um, very very familiar. Like if you've ever, um, you know, if you if you've ever built commander and just like <laughs> I just want to play cards I want to play. Like it was very similar to that. I'm just like this is cool. This is neat. This is sweet. This is not goodbye. And right. I just kind of built these piles. And that's and that's how my cube was at first. It was this primordial ooze of. <laughs> ideas and essence mm-hmm. um and, and i think that that's i think that's that's a fine place to start yeah what you want to do is you want to figure out what's what's working and what's not um you want to make sure that your colors are balanced like if you've picked out you know twice as many green cards as any other any other color you got to fix that you really do have to go down and and just take a take a chopping chopping uh, stick to it and just kind of beat out all the cards that just don't feel right or don't 
you know, really aren't that exciting or it's like, you got to be honest with yourself too. Like, that's the other thing is like, if you're not willing to say, well, I like this card personally and it's a card that I want to play, but it's not a card that actually works in my cube. Um, <laughs> that's something you have to be able to admit. Like, you've got to be able to cut your darlings. Um, if you've ever worked at like kind of writing yeah. And, and kind of being able to say, you know, I like this turn of phrase, I like this idea, but it's just not working right. Like, that good self-editorship um, is really what sets, like, cubes that are that are cool and fun and interesting, apart from cubes that I think people kind of get drawn to and gravitate to and go, wow, there's, like, there's something a little bit a little bit better about this. Um, that, that cleanliness that comes from just a really good experience um, really, really requires being honest with, um, with the cards that you're using. It's funny. I'm laughing because you basically just described my entire magic playing career, like uh, <laughs> the the refusal to cut one's darlings from a deck is pretty much what I've done for 19 years. But anyway, you know, well, um, I was gonna say, you know, the thing the thing to remember with that is like, you know, the ultimately the cube that you the cube that you create for for yourself. Uh huh. It should it should reflect the experience that you want players to have. Sure. Yeah. So you know if you want to play these like you know if you want to include like these different you know different wacky cards and you're just like I really want to hold on to this like think about think about changing other cards so that way it fits in more naturally like mm-hmm. not cutting you know not cutting your darlings um, doesn't mean that you just have to have like a worse cube it just means you need to think about you know it just ups the difficulty it's like well if I really want to include. Um, you know, like Phyrexian Negator mm-hmm. in my cube, and like that's that's a pretty rough card. Like maybe I need to make sure that there's like Cabal Ritual, uh, you know, Dark Ritual. Like there's all these ways that I can just like get in super early randomly. Um, but then it's like, well, if I have all these ritual effects, like maybe I need to maybe I need to have like uh, a a couple Storm cards too, like something that just rewards the player. That's like, okay, well, I'm not gonna play Phyrexian Negator off of this Dark Ritual, but I'm gonna cast two more rituals and do something cool with that instead. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can kind of kind of fudge around the yeah. cards you want to keep yeah there's definitely going to be a um there's going to be a viable mill deck like that's the one thing i'm certain of that's that's the one thing that i know i'm putting in the in the cube for sure is that there will be a playable uh mill deck in in the cube <laughs> because and again, again that goes back to me playing terrible decks uh in standard for years and years um so uh, Huh? Just, just and kind of the other side is, you know, um, if I were to build a new cube today, I would certainly look for a cube that I that I wanted to model. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it can be as simple as um, like a copy paste. Like, cool, this cube looks really sweet. Let me put it together, see how it plays, and start to get a sense of what I like and don't like. You know, and and some cards are definitely personal preferences and and design decisions. I mean, there's a reason there's a reason there are multiple designers and multiple developers that work on uh, magic sets. Like you need a variety of opinions where like it's not just one person's preferences becoming uh you know primary. You can kind of get a little bit from everybody. Sure. Um you know the with with a list of cards you can also um you know one of one of the ways that I like to I like to do it is kind of go for analogs. It's like you know, I don't want all of this fast mana, all this artifact mana, like Moxen. Like, I, you know, I'm not going to buy Moxen to put in a cube. Like, that's just like asking to like have people take money out of my out of my pocket. But maybe I'll put, you know, a cycle of signets in instead. And you kind of choose analogs that do similar effects. Maybe not quite as exciting and powerful, but uh, maintain the maintain the goal of what that card was originally doing. In right. a cube, um, and you can kind of adapt it from there, where where you can scale the power down or or scale the rarity up, things like that. Where um, 
you, you kind of adapt the cube for the cards that you have and you feel comfortable playing and then start to figure out where you go from there. In general, like how many archetypes or decks do you uh, want to have available in your cube? So you want to have like just eight decks or is there going to be like 16 and then people can draft, you know, eight of them. Um, and then like how many ideas is like too many ideas, you know, because uh, I've got a lot of cards in this box and I'm like, I do want to cut it down to a fairly, you know, tight list, like most 400, you know? Um, and so it's kind of one of those things like, well, how many themes can I include in a cube that that is, that's that size. You could be surprised. Um, yeah. The, the way I solved it for my cube is is I, I kind of did it in three stages. The first was I made each mono color internally consistent. So like if I were only drafting blue cards, what would my blue deck look like? Mm-hmm. Okay, I would have I would have big flyers. I would have um, bounce spells to to kind of get ahead on tempo. Where it's like okay, by the time you finally get to keep Imperiosaur, you've already lost like five or six life, and I have like six power flying in the air. <laughs> nice. Like that's how I would win with blue. Right. Um, a couple counter spells, um, you know, card draw where I can kind of use one for one effects, but but along the way, pick up a couple extra cards to to, to kind of maintain focus. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that for all of the colors uh, first, and so that that requires me looking at the curve of all of the cards in those colors, making sure that like every step of the way, I have not just something to play, but something that's useful to play, um, and that kind of forced me to to look at cards a little bit differently. Like I brought in things like. Um, you, still using blue as an example, like withdrawal from uh, pro- prophecy, uh, I believe, um, where you know it's like two blue bounce a guy. Oh, but if you're tapped out, bounce two guys. Like that sort of like big tempo hit was exactly what you know blue decks needed against like all of these aggressive, um, you know, efficient creatures and other colors. Then I then the next wave was um, was it was synced up with the uh, with the kind of return of um, Ravnica, mm-hmm. our, our our visit back. I looked at the um, the allied colors. And so I made sure each pair of colors had an identity that, that fit the internal consistency I'd already created. So for example, looking at blue, white, okay, they've got, they've got tappers, they've got bounce, they've got protection, they've got flyers. Like it's just a blue, white, blue, white skies, tempo deck, very, very similar to so many other drafts, Mm -hmm. you know, looking at blue, black, like, okay, cool. I've got bounce spells. I've got kill spells. I've got, you know, high toughness guys and, and, and ways to grind out card advantage, over the long game. Um, and that's where your multicolor cards start to start to fit in. So things like probe and, um, the, uh, uh, the card from Innistrad, you, uh, it's blue with, with like seven mana flashback back. You like, look at the top four, you know, keep one and yes, the rest. Yes. Like that, like those cards, like, like the card, like the identity that, that overlaps and like feels right when you start mixing those two identities together, really drive what you want to have your multicolor cards to be. Mm. Because, um, when you have like a, for example, like if you put in like a multicolor card, that's just like, like blue, black, like mill somebody for five. Right. So that sounds like maybe awesome for your cube. Like you want to have a dedicated mill thing. That's probably going to be some blue, some black, some demure mix in there. Yeah. You know, that's good for that. For my cube, like, it's just not what it's not what a blue black deck would wants. Like they need a way to deal with creatures. They need a way to to gain card advantage, um, and that's not doing either for them. So like I would choose like a different card, like something like Demir Infiltrator, where it's like comes down on turn two if I have my mana right, blocks blocks two twos. But if I draw it late, I can tutor for a removal spell, uh, and, and that subtle uh, the, the the subtle difference there. Um, or I mean, it's not subtle between like a mill spell and, and Demir Infiltrator, but but right. how it works in my blue black deck feels way better um, than if I had like some other random, you know, blue and black card there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third one is I did enemy colors because um, historically there's just been fewer options for enemy colors, and there still is, um, right. to be honest. Um, even with two Ravnica blocks, it's just not um, just hasn't had the attention historically over time. Um, so the, I find I found those the most challenging. Um, and even as recently as like this past year, like I've really had to to revisit and reinvent and like, okay, red, white, like is aggressive, but like, what does it really mean to be aggressive? Well, now that they have enough token making cards in those colors, like they're fine in other decks and it's still internally consistent, but like the really good token deck is now red, white. Um, you know, and I finally gave like an identity to those enemy colors that, that again, still works with the internal consistency of the, of the main colors. But when you combine, you know, the, the tools that that color gets are, are just better for that deck. Cool. 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 Um, so yeah, so try to, so, so, so if you total up, that's 15, basically 15 different, um, decks that you can kind of play. Yeah. Depending upon how the draft goes. So you, you have a lot of ideas. Um, just the difficulty is, is making sure like if, you know, if you want blue to be mill and black to be, um, you know, hyper aggressive creatures, blue black, isn't going to fit. Right. Right. Yeah. So you, you you have some trade-offs and sacrifices to to kind of choose through like what do you really want to do and and how will they work together and that'll kind of you know kind of what you do in one color kind of has a ripple effect across what what the other um, archetypes can do. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and probably like lay out a deck, look at each deck, put together what would this deck look like, put it together, look at it, and you know maybe swap stuff out like that. Yep, and and another thing to keep in mind is um, if you start putting together multiple decks, um, like like I found that a really useful exercise. Like, what does the what does the ideal you know blue black deck like? What does the ideal blue white deck look like? Now, looking at the overlap of the blue cards between those two decks kind of identifies your pinch points, where it's like, okay, both decks want some bounce spells. Okay, I better make sure there are enough. There are more than one. You know, there are more bounce spells than one deck can realistically run. Right. You know, that was that was the solution I came to is if somebody's playing blue white and somebody's playing black white, are there enough bounce spells between the two that both can both can actually just can work well enough that they haven't destroyed each other? Um, and I think right. that that's an experience that anybody who's who's drafted the set is aware of. Like, you know, too many you know too many cooks, you ruin the stew. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's kind of the the thing that I'm trying to avoid. I mean, you can't stop players where if like four people sit down and be like, "Well, I'm going to draft blue because blue is the best color in cube," you know, they're just going to like muck themselves up. There's nothing you can do about that. <laughs> um, but if if two players, you know, if two or three players are kind of dipping into a color, making sure there's enough of the things that that are needed, um, you know, that that's kind of been that the solution that I that I came to for that. Yeah, there's more redundancy um, for the key the key elements that would uh, comprise it, like that would be in more than one archetype. Right. Yeah. Cool. The, the overlap cards are, are really interesting. And then also tells you like, Hey, uh, I should start looking at every single bounce spell wizards prints because <laughs> right. when they print another good one, like that's, you know, maybe that's time to, to up the count by one. Or if I improve the bounce spells in my cube, like that's going to, that's going to have a ripple effect and it's make those decks better. You know, if, if your blue black deck just never is never want to draft, never even want a game maybe you really need to buckle down and give it more of the tools that that makes that deck rewarding to play. The basis of what I want to do is a common and uncommon cube. So it sounds like Eric Klug's cube would be a good one to uh, to take a look at. I'm guessing he has that posted somewhere, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. He... Uh... Um, he has a, he has a list if you um, if you ping him on Twitter I, I know he'll just have a link to his um, Google Doc and I cool. think he keeps a I think he keeps a thread on um, MTG Salvation cool awesome and updated with that so yeah 
Awesome. Definitely, definitely highly recommend. Um, I don't think there's a mill mill theme in there, but it'll give you a good sense of, of what a what a very powerful tuned common uncommon cube looks like. Yeah, that's awesome. Good. How do you design a cube to include archetypes that you don't enjoy drafting or playing? Is that just about being open minded and uh, and, and being thorough? Some of it. Um, I really find it's actually just helpful to to try to find people that like those archetypes and are good at them. Um, you know, reading reading articles about about draft archetypes from uh, online, you know, if somebody who always like Constark here, let's use that example. You know, there are the people that are just like, I play five color every single draft and I just draft all the, all the, all the life gain lands as high as possible. And then I draft the most powerful cards I see after that. And they go all in on this slow card advantage engine, multicolor fiesta where it's like, I look at it and I'm like, God help if you draw the wrong lands in the wrong order. Like, good luck with that, buddy. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a very good archetype. But then there's also the people that are like, you know, we're, which is kind of the spectrum I'm on, you know, being an aggressive player. It's like, I want to draft ideally red. And I force, I really try to force red and, and I'll, you know, like, like it's not uncommon for me to have multiple Leaping Masters by the end of the first pack. You know, I think four is my record uh, from the first pack, <laughs> but I see what colors open and if blue's open, I'll go blue, red. Um, and I can, and from there I can tease into white for Jeskai or green for Teamer. If white's open, I te- I go into there and I can tease into blue for Jeskai or black for Mardu. And I kind of, I, I kind of focus on creating that consistent aggressive plan where I have really good, really good early creatures and my mana is better because um, I'm not getting as many of the uh, the multicolored lands, um, and so so those car th- those archetypes those plans kind of sit at different different ends of the spectrum I would say. Um, so I you know I like talking and listening to the people that draft the five color decks because they really inform me. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I can get them to look at my cube and you know get them to be like you know like what do you what do you feel like like if you're looking at this like what question you're asking yourself and they'll, they'll stuff like where is blank or where is X or like where is my way to gain life like. Hmm. <laughs> Why are you using the the guild gates? Like, if you you know if you want to have like a like a four color or five color value deck option, like make sure you run all of the kazoos, you know, or not the kazoos, the um the bounce lands and the uh, comes and play tapped and gain life lands. Like, yeah, those are going to be the those are going to be the ways that you that you support those archetypes. Um, and similarly, if you if if an archetype is too good, like you think about like, well, what would really you know what would kind of crimp my plans? You know, you add those to the other archetypes, or if I change the mana base, does that make my deck, you know, kind of harder to build? Um, and so the same questions that that work for trying to understand an archetype you're not as familiar with also work when you're trying to reduce the power or, or kind of level out an archetype that you do like playing with. Um, you know, because that's something I ran into, too, where, like, obviously the red, you know, the, the, the red X decks that I really like to play were slightly better, um, some, you know, sometimes than, than the other colors. And I kind of had to had to tweak and adjust to make sure that that, that kind of leveled out. Right, right. Uh, so you're saying talk to other people? Ugh. I know. Ugh. Yeah, it's definitely, <laughs> you know, designing in a vacuum is is really tough. Yeah. Um, and I don't think good designers, uh, for Magic, if you're building like a, like a set to be drafted, like ultimately you're creating something that gets drafted by multiple people. Right. If you're not looking for uh, or creating a feedback loop or you're at least understanding and getting a sense of what your drafters are, are doing and looking for and, and how they feel about it, your cube just suffers for that. Sure, um, you sure. really can't. You really can't stand in a vacuum and build a and build a great cube. Right. I, I mean, I mean, unless you're a cube building draft savant, maybe. And I'm not. <laughs> but, 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 for, but for mere mortals who don't who don't have the ability to do that um, in a vacuum, um, it, it, you know, ultimately, like if your friends are excited for your cube and they tell you what they liked and they tell you what they don't, and you kind of nudge your cube along towards filling and 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 uh, reacting to that feedback, like. 
it's definitely a process. You know, it's not something that's going to take a week or a month or six months. Um, it really is a long-term commitment where over time, as you add cards and add drafts and get data and get a feel for things and change cards and then draft again, um, you start getting into the cycle where eventually um, you know, your cube is, has mostly massaged and you have a really good in, intrinsic understanding of, uh, of what you've built. Um, and by that point, um, you, you get a really good read on what new cards you're excited about, what cards are probably on the chopping block. And um, from there, it's, you know, it's much more straightforward update, I think. But it takes a while to really get that feedback loop in place. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Um, <clears throat> so uh, do you play Moto at all? Not enough. Uh, uh, I dabble a little bit. Um, I just really, um, you know, I, I often like to play Commander, and um, I like to do that at my local store or with people that I know and, and sit down with. So that's the primary, kind of the biggest way that I play. Um, I do a little bit of drafting um, every now and then on Magic Online. Do you do the cube drafts or uh, I don't. legacy? I'm always, I'm always practicing. Like I'm always practicing the the current limited environment. I've sure. Never, I think it's been I think it's been a year since I've done a cube draft online. Huh. Okay, cool. Well, then uh, that answers all those <laughs> questions. Well, again, you know, Steven sent me a lot of these, and uh, those were his. Those were his questions. He's because that's what he's on. He's on that legacy cube like nonstop. So um, the legacy cube's gone, so the holiday cube's back. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It comes back tomorrow after downtime. So yeah. Uh, oh, if you cool. like the legacy cube, I would give. Uh, I would send feedback to Randy Bueller, our Bueller on Twitter. Um, he kind of uh, was one of the one of the leaders in design development for that cube, and and I'm sure he'll um, you know even if he's not necessarily responsible for any updates in the future, um, certainly pass the the relevant feedback along. All I all I can say is that Steven wants way less life gain spells or incidental life gain uh, <laughs> in the like well, it drove him nuts because he he tries to draft that red deck and uh, and he just he just you know, I mean he did it he did okay with it a couple times but. Uh, I mean that—that's exactly what it was in there for. Was because of the um, the feel bad of 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 drafting. You know the you know the again about fulfilling the expectations of multiple players who have different different perceptions of what they want to do. Um, you know you can draft a really sweet three color deck that just is supposed to combo off and do some awesome stuff, and then if you get just burned out by turn seven, like that just feels awful. And so having um, you know having that that dualism where you can still get burned out but maybe it takes just a little bit longer and that little bit longer um is what made um i think legacy cube uh feel really good and 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 a lot of people i think had positive feedback for it was because they got to do the slightly more the slightly more crazy slightly more um uh ranked highly on the scoville unit scale things that that they want to they they wanted to do when they picked those cards up and they didn't just roll over to uh, a bunch of lightning bolts right yeah i think uh how did i forget how steven described it on the show it was about uh it was about eating all the fun pie. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, you know, and ultimately it's a balancing act. Like the designers of the Legacy Cube, you know, I know Randy Bueller had a, had an article on Dale Mitchell about it. And it was basically like, hey, we looked at what people liked about the Holiday Cube or, or the, the Cube, what they didn't. And this is one of the things that we heard loud and clear was, I want to do this awesome stuff, but I just keep dying to lightning bolt. Help. <laughs> so, you know, you know, paraphrasing heavily there. Um, but that's basically, you know, what, what the feedback was like, okay, well, red decks are still good, but they're not like the absolute fun police that if you just start seeing like, you know, you see mountain, 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 like you just know you're dead. Um, <laughs> you know, that's no longer the case. And I, and I think ultimately the experience for, for everyone's a little bit better for that. Sure. I can see that. Um, yeah. And that was Steven's last question about, uh, cube, uh, here was that, uh, you know, he likes to draft mono red aggro on the moto cube and he asks, <laughs> do I have a soul? And if not, what must I I do to become a real boy 
I mean, I think um, some some of my favorite people in Magic draft um, the the Fun Police in, in in Cube, and and I'm certainly one that will draft the Fun Police. So either we all don't have souls together, <laughs> and I think that's okay. Um, I think that's a deeper conversation that we weren't know, trying to get into. You, know, you, you, may, you may want to seek out your local spiritual advisor or hippie to get more information. Um, so um, just a couple more questions real quick. Um, these were questions that Stephen came up with. So uh, he listened to an interview with you on Across the Table. Um, you mentioned that the stories, um, like of the flavor of the sets and the stories behind the sets, especially Weatherlight and uh, the escapism of magic are what initially attracted you to the game. Uh, do you still follow the storylines of the current sets? And uh, which ones uh, have had your favorite story or flavor in, say, like the past, like, you know, five years or so? Um, I, I have really, I, I've always followed the, the, the story and flavor of magic. Um, it's always been something that, that's excited me, you know, mm-hmm. as I said before, I'll say it again. Um, I talk with Mike Lineman and, and a lot of the Vorthos people, you know, MJ can, they can all vouch that, that I'm a, that I'm a flavor goo, uh, not a guru, but goober, I think is a good word. Like I just <laughs> like it. I enjoy it. Um, you know, I have looked up characters in, in, in magic on a regular basis. Um, I was super delighted to see like Titania and, and, uh, Felden and these, these, these characters that I remember from like way back come to life. I mean, like tight, uh, you know, Fraley, uh, Fraley's is like an eye patch wearing green badass, you know, like, come <laughs> on, like, what more do you want? Like, this is awesome. This is why I love the game. Yeah. Um, uh, but for me, it's, um, I, I love the new, I, I love and hate the new meta story that's going on. So one of the things they talked about um, in a recent, um, I believe, um, Uncharted Realms, or, or maybe it was a, an interview in, um, maybe Mark Rosewater did in his column. I'm trying to remember the exact source. So I apologize that I don't have it on uh, on hand. But that's okay. basically they said, you know, one of the things they did way back was this ongoing meta story where like things that would happen in one block could would, would, would come back and affect things two blocks later. Um, and then they kind of got away from that, went to self-contained stories. And now they've kind of tipped the scale back the other way. Um, you know, like uh, when they announced, you know, um, Constantark here and said there was going to be a, that, that this is Sarkon's home plane. It's where Ugin was. Um, and the dragons went away long ago and time travel is involved in the block. I'm like, I snap called that. Okay. They're going to go back. They're going to kick Bolas's ass and Ugin's going to be alive. Oh, wow. Okay, so they've got Soren, who helped build the Hedrons. They're going to get Ugin back. Now they need to go need to find a Lithomancer. Like, like, the ongoing story of, like, they're going to come back around to the Eldrazi and, like, lock them back up again. Like, that's the meta story that's mm-hmm. kind of still going on. And um, how that gets resolved, I don't know. But, like, you know, step one was Soren came back. You know, step two is Soren finds out Ugin's dead at the same time. Ugin's like, hey, come back and save me, bros. Like, don't <laughs> let me die. <laughs> You know, and and he's saying it in not very nice ways into uh, to Sarkin's head. So they're going to go back, and obviously they 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 save him. Um, clearly, that's what's happening with Dragons Dark here. Like they come back to the future, and it's like Dragons, bro. Ugin's like, yeah, man, I'm making them again. You know, like so so they'll have their Ugin back, and now it's like, okay, well, who's going to be the Lithomancer? You know, and then there's like these little like side plots where it's like I I don't like that Jace is like now like the avatar of Ravnica or whatever. Like that just feels weird like mm-hmm. i don't get the i don't get the result there i like that elspeth died and we're gonna go back to theros and like does a planeswalker when she comes when a, when a planeswalker dies and comes back does the planeswalker still have their spark hmm. like that that story of like you know i don't like that that she chose to die or you know or, or jane made a bargain or whatever from like you know because she fell in love with some dude that she just met like 
you know, the, the, the tiny little, you know, some of the bigger pieces of the details that drive the story are things that irritate me. Um, but the overall like arc of like what could happen because of it feels really awesome. Like, okay, a planeswalker died. What does that really mean? Hmm, you know, yeah. we go back like, okay, a planeswalker ascended to a god and died. What does that really mean? <laughs> I think there's kind of two really big threads there dealing with death. So when we go back to Theros, we're gonna have to resolve those, I think, in some way. You know, I'm kind of curious, like, like what happens. Like, I don't know. Like, I can't predict the future. And right. And I mean, except when it's like, you know, Constantine here, and you tell me time travel's involved. Yeah, okay. We we all know what's coming there, but it's like I don't know how that's gonna resolve, or like how that plays into kind of the bigger story of things. Like, is it gonna be important to go save Elspeth to like get like the ability to lock up Eldrazi? Mm-hmm. Like, is that gonna be part of the story? Like maybe for some reason, but like, it's going to be really cool when we go back to, to figure out how we save Elspeth. Right. You know, I don't know. Like I'm looking forward to that. And like that setting up stories that I'm looking forward to being resolved um, is awesome. And, mm-hmm. and I, and while I can quibble about how we got to that point, the fact that the broad brushstrokes are all things that, that excite me. Um, I'm totally behind. And, and I'm really excited that, that, that creative and the creative storytelling has kind of evolved to this point that we're not using books we're not using individual cards to kind of create like this dis- discombobulated tale of things. It's like we're taking command and we're sharing these stories and we're, you know, they're getting, they, they blow up on Reddit every week. The guys there seem to love it. Um, it's just a really cool thing going on. That's really and interesting. That, that creative aspect is just awesome. I so just is that, if, sorry, is that, so is that how these stories are, are being shared? Cause see for me, like I stopped following really, the the stories i mean like i get the general flavor of the sets you know um but i've stopped following the actual plot lines ever since they stopped making the books with every set because i loved those like i loved the book comes out like a month or so before the set you start getting some feel of like some of the characters you're going to be seeing in the set and you kind of get a narrative so so it's really moved to like reddit now which i'm just totally an old man about and don't look at uh, it's it's not on reddit it's uncharted realms every Wednesday okay. they have um the, the the creative storytelling column and and that's something that somebody always cross posts it to reddit and they and they upvote it and it gets and that's what i mean by blow it blows up on reddit oh, okay 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 um, but they, yeah, they, they've really doubled down. It's like, it turns out when you run web surveys and ask people, Hey, how did you know about the story? They're going to answer the website because hmm. that's where they're taking the survey from. But also it's like just how most people consume magic. Like, um, you know, unless you're having like a Brandon Sanderson type, like fantasy author, you know, consistently write your books and kind of build out their own creative with it. You know, it's really hard to kind of have those novels come out and be great novels in themselves. Yeah. I think the short story, I think the short stories and kind of the ongoing tales where like they, you know, the, the big broad brushstrokes, you kind of see what's going on. Like, okay, cool. Deicide. This is a card where Elspeth is literally stabbing a God in the chest with a spear. <laughs> I get what happened here. Right. Filling in the details of how Elspeth got to that point And, um, you know, uh, and, and what happened in the immediate moments after those are things that, that definitely get covered in, um, in, in the, in the little columns. That's cool. Uh, I'll have to check articles that, that go up. That's yeah, awesome. I highly recommend Uncharted Realms. And the great thing is, is you get a, a variety of people in creative writing about stuff and they write about a variety of characters. So it's like, it's not just mono planeswalkers. It's like, right. let's tell the story of, you know, uh, one of the, one of the lead, one of the con leaders mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, um, uh, who was it? Uh, 
um, Zergo and like his like I need to go I need to go I need to go muck up Sarkon. I heard he's back, and what? All right, we're gonna go after Sarkon and like the story of like where where Zergo went and wh- what he's after. Um, hmm. You know, and a little bit of the backstory of like why he hates Sarkon so much. Hmm. Um, those those little those little fill in the dots are are what those columns do every weekend and they're really nice because it's 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 light it's quick um you get a lot out of it um i i think you know i think they're i think they're they're individually good stories generally speaking it's not yeah. like they're bad um and you don't necessarily need to wait for a novel like a whole <laughs> novel to get published to find out what's going on you get like this breadcrumb of trails every week and, yeah. and that type of you know that's really fueled my excitement i think you see what you I'll... can tell well yeah I mean, I, i've out talked you here at the end like that <laughs> think about that like that's hard to do and i've done it so, yeah. i know but see the the funniest thing is that see what i what i'll probably have to do is i'll probably have to go back like one day when i'm off and just like like click on just that article title and then go back like a year and then just start reading each one like one by one by one by one since i'm so far behind on them um uh but, no you won't need to do that um every every block or every set they come out with like a planeswalkers guide to the new set okay and they fill in a lot of those little details like they 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 basically give you like a um like when you're watching like a serial show on television like previously on planeswalkers right and they kind of give you like the quick and dirty of like what you kind of need to know Mm -hmm. from where we're at in the story and the storyline arc they do that they'll they'll paint in the strokes of like of like what happened you know why why we're on tarkir what happened on the on the set where we're going now and kind of set up the premise of what's about to unfold mm-hmm. in this, in this um, piece of the story. Cool. So I, I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily worry about going back a year. Um, maybe keep an eye out for, you know, if somebody talks about an article and links to it from a year ago, that's kind of important stuff, you know, that, that I think the really important ones will carry forward and get linked to and down the road, yeah. but you can just start, start reading like, you know, tomorrow. Yeah. Um, right on. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, and the, the funny thing is that the old man in me goes, maybe they should take all of those articles and make a book out of them. Then I'd read it. <laughs> like, but it's uh, already a free book. It's like such, it's like so defeats the purpose. I'm, I, I'm just so ancient when it comes to how I like digest my media. But anyway. Oh, and um, I, I know that the RSS feeds work for columns now. So if you go to Uncharted Realms and, and subscribe to the RSS feed, you can actually just have the newest story delivered to you every week nice nice well cool awesome <laughs> well cool that's excellent man um so we're about out of time um and uh you know it was really awesome having you on the show i feel like i've learned a lot about cube uh which is really awesome and i'm so glad that you could come on here and uh and and let me ask you a bunch of questions about it and uh, i think you really got my brain going in the right direction uh, in terms of uh, getting this thing off the ground and getting it built. So I really appreciate that. Was there anything else, uh, you know, any uh, any shout-outs, any, uh, like, uh, you know, my album's dropping this Tuesday kind of stuff that you want to uh, that you wanna say before we sign off here? Um, not much. I mean, you know, if you, if you love Commander, Thursday's uh, Command Tower on Daily MTG is uh, kind of my bread-and-butter column. Um, I, I, I really love good good decks and good feedback. And so we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to start the year off, right. You really want to tune in uh, for the first of the year to, to kind of see how we start, start off 2015. Um, 
you know, if uh, if you want to reach out to me and and tell me how wrong I am about about Cube and Cube design and development, because I'm sure some of you think I am, uh, just hit me up on Twitter at the underscore Stibs, uh, S T Y B S, and uh, I'd, I'd be glad to, to to listen to your feedback and consider it for for future updates of of my Cube. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, if if you like if you like having your ear holes filled with interesting or not interesting things, depending upon how much you like Tom Gustafson. Uh, you can tune into <laughs> in MTG Potpourri. Uh, we we record it regularly, but when we do, it's it's Tom Gustafson, Conley Woods, and I, um, three old old Vanguard guys from Monday yeah. Night Magic. Uh, Tom does a great job uh, with with um, with the show editing. Uh, Conley always has strong opinions, and and sometimes I just play referee and and duck, and it's just an amazing show. I think people uh, the feedback we've gotten has been great. So if you if you like. If you like hearing a little bit less from me and a little bit more from from other people that like to talk a lot, you're gonna love MG Potpourri too. <laughs> and, I, and again, like just like with articles, I'm just so bad at keeping up with like the podcasts that are out there these days and all these different things. Like I didn't even know Tom was still podcasting. I'm like, he came back. He he reached out to me out of the blue and he's like. Yo, Adam, do you want to cast? And I'm like, damn right, I want to cast. <laughs> yeah. Do you, who do you want to get? And he's like, I was going to ask Conley. Let's do it. Conley was like, yup. So it's just like old Monday Night Magic, but uh, just like, you know, topic du jour. You know, we're no longer focused exclusively on news or exclusively on, you know, some some bit. It's it's really just good conversation, and we really try great. to really try to hone in on interesting things. And then there's a ton of really bad B movies that Tom throws into. So Very good. Like, everything you loved about Tom with everything that was really good about, uh, about when we cast it together years ago, it's just kind of been a, been a tour de force uh, when we reunited. So that's fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. I want to go and, li- and listen to this show now because uh... we got 20 of them. Oh, that's fantastic. Good, <laughs> good. No, I'm so glad, man. But anyway, man, uh, thanks again for coming on the show. It was really great having you. It was a lot of fun uh, talking to you and catching up. And it's really great to talk to you also um, while we're both not, like, right after, like, eight hours of pre-release. Like, (laughs) I feel like there's, like, I feel like this is the most energy we've ever had uh, casting together because we're not just, like, (laughs) we didn't just stare at cards all day before. And, uh... Yeah, so I'm 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 excited. This was this was a lot of fun. Um, you know, come back anytime. Uh, let me know if you ever want uh, someone else to stir things up on the potpourri. Um, and uh, and I'm gonna sign this thing off. Uh, so everybody, uh, you know, next week I think we're not gonna uh, talk too much about magic. Um, we might. I mean, it'll be magic stuff, but we're basically gonna do like a year in review kind of thing that'll be involving magic it'll be involving not magic just kind of whatever me and steven uh feel like reminiscing on uh from the year uh so so that'll be next week um and uh that's it for us this week uh so until next time we are yo mtg taps stop bitching start giving with self-defense, leg swipes, alcohol, toss, molotovs, throwing down the mic. Now they get caught up in the hype for being so tight. Zag with your jeans was hella mean, mug, right? Strike, Android thinking combined. Leroy Jenkins outlined the highest price. Hip-hop, you rep vaguely. I'm consistent, fresh, daily. I maintained a quiet life during open mics. Expectations is too high. Dreams holding it. I've lost friends and loved ones. Couldn't cope with the pursuit. 
Yo MTG Taps is available every bloody Friday forever. On legitmtg.com, I want my mtg.com, mtgcast.com, and iTunes. Email us, yomtgtaps at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Tumblr, yomtgtaps.tumblr.com. Follow us on Twitter, at yomtgtaps. Follow me on Twitter, at omgwtfbhjftw. Follow Steven on Twitter, at m00npi. Follow Joey on Twitter, at affinityforblue. Featuring music by You'll Never Know and Logic Marsalis. Available at magneticmoments.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening.